and uh, I'm excited to bring the word to you. And if you don't already know, we are looking at the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew's uh, Gospel, and you'll find it through chapters 5 to 7. And I think it would be good if you just prepare yourselves now by opening your Bible or turning on your Bible to chapter 5 of Matthew. And one thing I've been thinking, as you're getting there, don't worry, we won't read scripture straight away. One thing I've been thinking is simply, why bother? You know, I may have assumed why you are all living for Jesus, but why do we live for Jesus? Or why would I, if I don't already, why would I desire, want to live for Jesus? I don't know if many of you have used the phrase, heard the phrase, maybe, maybe even looked up the phrase, living your best life. Has anybody ever said that or heard it said? Well, basically, living your best life has become so popular as a phrase that it's actually a hashtag that you can look online. And uh, so uh, I, this week, just put the hashtag living your best life into Instagram, and it came up with these photos. And basically, the feeling, the vibe you get is basically what is the best things you could be doing with your life? What's the favourite things? What do you enjoy? And so there are a couple of pictures of... um, Just pets just chilling out, apparently living their best lives. You've got people who've gone on holiday. Some people think camping is their best life. They need to be reinformed. There's people with, you know, their own kind of luxury goods or things that they enjoy so far. Having a car is living their best life. And uh, somebody who's obviously breaking all health and safety regulations, got a whole family on a motorbike there. But that, for them, is living their best life. Now, it is my understanding and my belief, as a follower of Jesus, living for Jesus means that I am actually living my best life. And you know what? Even some of the things that came up on there, I could be doing those things, living for Jesus, but it's living for Jesus that makes it living my best life. I wonder for each and every one of you, if you were to put a picture up of hashtag living my best life, you would be aware, whatever you do, not judging that, but whatever you do or whatever it is, are you aware that you're doing that because Jesus is in your life? As in that is living your best life. And so my question really coming to this, what is Jesus all about in terms of living for him? Well, it's answered with knowing why Jesus came. Who do we think Jesus is or what did he come to do? And many of you would go straight to the cross and resurrection. We've, we've had communion today to remind us of that. But in his time on earth, when he came, other than that aspect of the mission he did, what did Jesus come to do? What did he do? And I think chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew, the longest recorded sermon of Jesus, really shares everything he came to do. Because you see, the content of it is simply for Jesus to share and to show who the Father is, who his heavenly Father is, and his ways. Who the Father is and his kingdom, and how to go about his kingdom. Last week, we had Toy and Cher, and part of what he was sharing on contentment was he did a summary, which is a really well-known summary, I hope, at least amongst us maybe as Christians, that actually purpose in life, contentment, comes from knowing God and making him known. And so today, I wanted to unpack that a bit more, because there's so much more to then just knowing him 
or what we understand of knowing him. Jesus came to show the Father so that we can know him. But the thing is, so many of us restrict our knowing, or when we use the term to know somebody, we use that terminology as if like knowing somebody like a celebrity. So God becomes like the celebrity God that we can know. I don't know about you, maybe you have a favourite celebrity you can think of and know of. Hopefully you don't have a personal relationship for this understanding. But my favourite, or my celebrity crush, if you will, somebody I really like and look up to, is Keanu Reeves. And uh, I love the guy, I think he's amazing, I watch his films, I, um, I like to think I know a lot about him, and uh, what, if you just type into Google or the internet, like, the world loves Keanu Reeves, he's an he's a all-round nice guy. But the truth is, even though I can spiel about him for ages, I can watch his movies, read up about him, maybe follow things on Instagram or Twitter, maybe even, you know, watch YouTube videos and interviews with him, I don't actually know him. And when I say know him, what I really mean by this is I haven't known him personally so that I'm impacted by him in my life. He hasn't impacted my life or changed my life, really. I mean, the most he's impacted my life is every now and then, in my imagination, I believe I can dodge bullets. That's about (laughs) it. But other than that, he hasn't impacted my life. And the thing is, when we come to share about Jesus helping us know the Father, getting to know the Father, it's a knowing which isn't just simply reading about him, observing him, maybe watching a video on him. It's not just that. It's beyond that. And those things can be good. But actually knowing the Father is knowing him to the extent that he impacts our lives. He changes our lives. We are transformed by knowing him because we relate to him. And we share experiences with him. So today we're going to be talking about being transformed by knowing the Father. My first point today is being transformed by the knowledge of God. You are transformed by the knowledge that doesn't just come from reading about him, but from experiencing him, from experiencing his presence and allowing that presence to impact your life to an extent that it changes you. And so now with your Bibles open or on, we're going to look at who Jesus shows the Father to be through, just like a quick overview of Matthew 5 through to 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks about the Father 16 times. He mentions it in those three chapters. I've had to update it. I've been been studying it so much I didn't even realise I'd missed out a few. 16 times. The Father is mentioned. And there's even on top of that, two times indirectly, the Father is mentioned. In chapter 5, in verses uh, 5, I believe, and in verse 9, you get the idea of the humble or the meek inheriting the earth. So there's already relational language of a Father there. And then when it talks about becoming peacemakers, the peacemakers are the children of God. So there's another two. Now, a breakdown of this, just to help you guys out, just to show where Jesus is really central, like really focusing in on. In chapter 5, you've got three mentions of the Heavenly Father. Chapter 6, you've got 11 mentions of the Heavenly Father. And then in chapter 7, you've got another two mentions of the Heavenly Father. And in throughout this, you get a build-up and a clearer understanding. You get a clearer picture of who the Father is. 
And so I have taken the time just to look through that, pour over that over these weeks, just to share a bit more of some of my thoughts and where the Lord has led me. And I would like us to have a look at the Father and in, in, in six characteristics that I believe in knowing him and seeing these things, they will impact our lives to change us and transform us by the knowledge of God. And so the first characteristic about God the Father, which would be good to know about, is that God the Father, our Heavenly Father, is perfect. In chapter 5, verse 48, it says, Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. The first characteristic, the first describing of his Heavenly Father is, My Father is perfect. That's what Jesus says. And that means he's perfect in all his ways. He's always righteous. His judgments are always righteous and true. He is always good. But let's take that a bit further, guys. If we are to be the children of God, that means he's perfect towards us all the time. He's not just perfect in a far-off sense. He's perfect towards you in a personal sense. In every hour, in every day, in every season, in every situation and circumstance, through every year, the Lord is perfect towards you. Your Heavenly Father is always perfect towards you in relating to you. And how cool is this? In the context of talking about God being the Father, being perfect, Jesus is actually talking about persecution. He's talking about, you know, suffering because of your enemies. He's talking about loving your enemies, right? Now, it's not easy for us, or we don't tend to project ourselves as the enemies much when we talk and when we think about things, right? But if we were the enemy, the Lord's heart, the Father's heart, is that people would be praying for you, that you would have salvation, that you would be delivered from being an enemy. And I know we don't like to think of ourselves as the enemy, but that is actually the truth. According to scripture, you'll see in Ephesians, you know, before we knew God, before we came into a relationship with him, we were all enemies. And the father who is perfect was willing us to be prayed for and have a salvation experience. And that can be you today if you haven't got a relationship with God. God is for you even though in your current status of affairs, you're an enemy. He is so perfect towards each and every one of us. How amazing. So point one, in knowing the Father, he is perfect. He does no wrong. And I can't stress this enough. He will never do you wrong. He will never fail you. Because he's perfect. It's part of his nature. All right, the second thing I've noticed as a characteristic of Jesus, we're moving into chapter six now, is that... The Father, the Heavenly Father, sees and rewards. This is repeated three times. You'll see it in verse 4, you'll see it in verse 6, and you'll see it in verse 18. And in this context, it's talking about giving to the needy, praying to the Father, and fasting. He sees you and he rewards you. I love this because in these three moments you've got here, the other three moments we've talked about where Jesus repeats himself three times is do not worry. In chapter 6, later on, do not worry. Well, this will help you. Do not worry. He sees you and rewards you three times. He loves you that much. And I, I think the challenge for us in this day, it's so easy to think or assume that we've been overlooked, right? We have a hard day. We have tough things happen. 
We feel other people are excelling. We do the whole comparison thing. Hey, I do it too. I'm not pointing. And then we think, oh, we're not seen. But it says here, even in the secret place, let alone what's going on out there or in, in front or on the surface, but in the secret place, the Lord sees. He sees your heart. He knows what's going on. And he rewards you. I actually think some of the issue of us feeling that we're not seen is because we're judging it by what we see as a reward. And I just want to encourage you now, because you haven't received the reward you think you're due, (laughs) I want to say that has no effect on Jesus seeing you or the Father seeing you. Actually, the Father rewards by a different mechanism, a heavenly mechanism. And sometimes... We get that out of place and we think God's not doing right by us. But remember, he's perfect and he sees you and he will reward you. But for what is done in secret. So don't strive too much out in the open, out on the surface. What this is encouraging is more time in the secret place. And I love the invitation this is because it's not just an invitation to be seen by God. But it's an invitation in the secret place to see him. In the secret place, that's where you seek after him. And your reward is seeing him and knowing him. Let's move on because we don't have that much time together. So the third thing, in terms of God's character as a father, he knows our needs. Chapter 6 again in verse 8 and then again verse 32 says God knows our needs even before we ask it. Some of you may question then, well, why Why do I have to ask? That's a very good question. I'm not going to answer it. But think about that. Why is God asking me to ask if he already knows? It's part of his nature. And if you answer that for yourself, you'll know how good he is. But in the context of chapter 6, when he says he knows your needs, that's just before Jesus teaches about prayer. Talking with him, knowing your needs, relying on him. He is good. He delivers. He always, always delivers more than one way as well. He's so good. And he knows your needs. He truly knows them. One of the difficulties in terms of knowing his needs is just those things that we in our culture and society and just through generations of being on this earth, we think we need to provide for all our needs. (laughs) We think we need to uh, make a way for ourselves. And the father simply says, I know all your needs and I'll provide them. Again, I want to encourage you, if you haven't spent time in chapter 6, look at the verses, uh, look around the do not worry passage. It even says there that the Father clothes creation and he feeds creation. And guess what? We're part of that marvellous creation. In fact, we're the pinnacle of it. So if he does it for this part of creation and that part, is he not so much more going to do it for you, for us? He just loves us so, so much. I really hope reading the words of Jesus help you see how much the Father loves you. And interesting enough, this moves me into my fourth point about the Father, is this is a Father who forgives. In fact, this is worth actually reading as a passage because it teaches. Verse 14 in chapter 6 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. Wow. The heavenly Father forgives us. 
And we need his forgiveness. Now, one of the challenges I think that's crept into like new Christianity or, you know, just contemporary Christianity is because we understand God is so loving, we think his love, you know, is unconditional to a point of relationship. It's not. God's love is unconditional. He loves whether you're an enemy. Remember, I've said that. But your relationship with him requires forgiveness. And it says here, if we don't forgive others, we're not forgiven. There's there's a condition there. See, the Lord loves unconditionally, but to have a relationship with him, there's a condition of being in relationship with him, being forgiven and forgiven. But isn't that so good that what we need, remember, the Father knows what we need, the very next thing that Jesus says is, he is a Father who forgives. We all need his forgiveness. And it's okay to go back for more and ask for more and ask again and again. The Father loves it when we come to him for all our needs. The fifth thing, the fifth characteristic of a heavenly father is that he is a good gift giver. Chapter 7, verse 11, a great passage again talking about how a father would treat a son or a child. I love this because, again, it shows the Father's heart of not just giving what you need, but giving beyond that, up and above and beyond. He's a good Father. He gives really good gifts. And uh, how many of you love Christmas? Well, you have him to thank for that. Think of all the gifts you get through that. I know some of them aren't that great at Christmas, but the Father literally gave you Christmas through Jesus. He gave you Jesus Christ. And this has really hit me hard because actually I think about those things as being, because they're directly linked to Jesus, oh, the Father's good gifts to me. But remember what I was saying about living my best life? Every good and perfect thing that you enjoy, you're only enjoying it because the Heavenly Father gives good gifts. You're only enjoying it because he exists and has brought you life. Everything that is good and perfect and righteous and wonderful is because of him. He gives good gifts. And, I mean, you can spend your season picking out these one to six. I'll share the sixth one in a moment. Of where the Lord is growing you in understanding him. And I'm saying there's probably more, but from at least this passage, I've seen six different characteristics that are unique to him. But what God has really blown my mind in, I hope many people kind of share this kind of understanding, is when I pray, sometimes things don't happen the way I want them to. When I ask for certain things, sometimes I don't get them. How dare he? And then I remember the father gave the son. The father gave Jesus. Not so much Christmas, but he gave Jesus. We've broken bread and had the wine or the fake wine today to know that he didn't even spare his one and only son who was righteous in every way but died a sinner's death in our place so that we could have relationship with him, so that we could know him. How dare I think God is being stingy with me? He has given me every good and perfect gift in Christ Jesus. Read it in Ephesians, the beginning of Ephesians. The fullness of God is in 
Christ Jesus. So whenever you feel hard done by it, and I'm not pointing the finger again, I do from time to time, like, God, this hasn't gone my way or the way I wanted it to, or you haven't provided this in this way, I remember he's provided Jesus. Maybe sometimes it would just be a bit better if we focused on who Jesus is as well and what Jesus is to us. But he has made a way that we can know the Father and know to the point of being transformed. Finally, the sixth thing I've seen in terms of these 16 mentions of Heavenly Father through chapters 5 to 7, in verse 21 of chapter 7, the last one it says, let me find it for you, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Again, just notice there's a conditionality on that. Okay, so I don't know where unconditional stuff in terms of relationship has come from, but I understand the sentiment, God loves us even when we're enemies. But God has a will for you, and I want to describe that, not just a will, but a perfect will. If we link it back with the first thing about God who is perfect, then the Father's will for your life is perfect too. Here's the struggle, here's the challenge as being human, though. We make God's will about our lives to be about us. God's will for your life is about him. And so I know sometimes we get into the trap of thinking, I've missed it, or I've messed up, or it's not going according to how it should be. And when you get to those places, just look at the other characteristics of God. He's perfect. He knows your needs. He sees and rewards you. So no matter if you feel like you've missed an opportunity or missed a trajectory or missed something, God is always good. And this is something I I feel like I have to keep saying to the younger generation who are under so much pressure by all the outside things, as well as probably inside from the teaching and from what's within them. They're like, oh, no, what happens if I miss it? I've screwed up my whole life and I'm not even 16. You know, they're thinking this. And I'm like, okay, there's things going on in your life and you've got different choices and decisions to make. But do your decisions, do your choices, do your choices have an effect on the impact of the character of God? God is good all the time. So despite you going maybe the wrong course or in your mind the wrong trajectory, God is always perfect. The Heavenly Father will always love you and he will always rescue you. He will always deliver you. He will always heal you. So he's worth seeking out even when things don't look right for your life. Can I get a hallelujah amen for that? Speak that encouragement into your life because so many of us see, see because of society what a good will looks like, what, what we should be going after. And really all I can see through five to seven God's heart and will for us, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is simply to know the Father and to follow in his ways. That's it. And then all else will be added unto you. It comes, I mean, it's in the chapter six as well, you know. Seek first the kingdom of God, you know, and all his righteousness, and it'll be added to you. In the do not worry passage, in the passage that God says, you know, Jesus says, Aren't you more valuable than those things? And that's a rhetorical question. You are. You are so valuable. And it's so hard as a pastor sometimes when I see people not realize how much God loves them and therefore how much they don't even love themselves. And it's like, you are so valuable. But we see our value in terms of maybe the wrong things, likes, popularity, things like that, which we're all, you know, open to. 
But hopefully, if we're looking at the word of God, if we're living by the spirit of God, if we're praying in the secret place, the Father counteracts all of that worldly understanding so that we can see him for who he is, which means we see ourselves in relationship to him in the right way. One thing I just simply wanted to ask, a bit of an exercise for you, one to six. There's six different characteristics in there. Pick one maybe for your season you're in, and just go a bit deeper. Have a look at it. That's my heart for you anyway. And you've probably heard, it was number five for me, he's a good gift giver. I, I've, God has just blown my mind with how good he is. And all to say this, God transforms us, right? So by knowing the Father, we're transformed by the knowledge of God. But it doesn't end there. It's like transformed to what? We are transformed, this is my second point, we are transformed by the knowledge of God into the likeness, into the image of Christ Jesus himself. And Christ Jesus is God the Father's one and only Son, whom he loves and delights in and is well pleased. We get to be his children. We get to be like him and inherit even what he inherits. One of the things about the term Christian, I'm not sure how many of you know it. It was actually a derogative term when it was first used back in the church of Antioch, back in the day. And it meant little Christs. Look at all these people trying to be little Jesuses. Well, that's, that's our call. That's the will of God for each and every one of us, that we would be little Jesuses. We would be his children. My challenge today and every day is for me to stop being a big David. And I'm not a big David, I'm only 5'7". But for all of you, stop trying to be a big version of yourselves. Just be a mini Christ and you'll be smashing it in life. Hashtag living your best life. I mean, this is for you. This is for you. I really hope, I, I mean, I'm entertained by the word of God, but I want to be entertained by seeing people living their best lives for Jesus. And that's for you. And your friends, your family, the people you come into contact, that is part of it. If you're being Christ-like, you'll see the ripple effect. So this takes me to my third point. Jesus came to show us the Father. He came to show us the Father's way. And the Father's way of doing the Father's way, operating in the Father's way, we make him known. Right? And so we're not only transformed into the likeness of Jesus, we're transformed to be Jesus' representatives, the image of God. I've skipped some passages just because I've hardly got time. But let's look at chapter 5, the salt and light paragraph. You may know it well, verse 13 through to 16. I'll read it quickly, but you should pour over this some other time. This is Jesus speaking to the crowd. Imagine this is Jesus speaking to you. You are the salt of the earth, but if... The salt loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven." Oh, I love this passage. Of the whole of five to seven, there's not much about an identity passage where Jesus tells you who you are. Right here, bang at the start, he says, you are salt and you are light. One of the things I love when reading the Bible is reading the opposite, reading into the opposite. What does it not say? And I'll tell you what it doesn't say. It says, not you will become salt and light. 
Not you will be salt and light. Not that you can be salt and light. Not that you have the potential. Oh, everybody loves that word. You have the potential to be salt and light. No, no, no. You are salt and light. Oh, maybe if I speak these words in the right way or do this action in the right way, I will be salt and light. No, no. You are salt. You are light if you are in a relationship with God the Father. Bless his name. So verse 13 talks about salt. And we, there's many things that salt has attributes to. And I love reading into scripture this way. And you look at the mirroring of what different things salt can do. So you can talk about flavor. You can talk about preservative. You can talk about medicinal things. And in, in the Middle East, you can even talk about how, how it helps with your diet because it's so hot there. So they need salt to return. All those things. Fantastic. Great. And I'll leave that to you to draw the parallel from. But in this scripture, rather than it says losing its saltiness, if you go back to the original Greek, it talks about actually the salt becoming tasteless. So it, it does impact more on the flavor thing, but I'm not taking away all those other lines you can draw from it. <coughs> Made me think, am I wrong? But does salt have a flavor? No, it doesn't. Salt only has a flavor when it's on something or in something. Wait, for me to be salt, I have to be in a relationship with God the Father. That's how it happens. So all of us striving to make sure we're not unsalted <laughs> or unsalty, whatever you want to call it. You know, the way we do that is simply, again, it's not about you performing. It's about you being in a relationship with God and living it out with God the Father. It's amazing that we simply get to be a vessel because then salt on food is then tasted. So salt, us, on God, will be tasted. That's it. Yeah, I'm not telling you what to do or methods or all that. Just be on God or in God. Finally, verse 14, the light of the world. This is, we know, this, this title should be just reserved for Jesus, right? How good of him. How very good of him that he delights to call us the light of the world because we are in Christ Jesus through his death and resurrection, through the forgiveness of our sins, we are his. This um, passage talks about a city on a hill. His, his audience members or whatever would have thought of Jerusalem on the hill. And see, Jerusalem was supposed to be a place to attract the nations to come to know God. You know, Jerusalem actually has the temple and therefore which signifies the presence of God to attract people like it. Even the imagery a city on a hill, you've got a city, God's city, you've got kingdom there, so you can bring about the kingdom of heaven, but you can even think of a lighthouse. There's all this imagery here just for you that Jesus just says, go crazy with it, pray into it, seek after it. But one of the things I was so encouraged by was when Jesus talks about our light and not hiding it under a bowl, right? Because if you hide your light under a bowl, it goes out. But he says, put it on a lampstand. Not just the stand, it's this lampstand. If you think about the people of the day hearing that, they would have automatically thought of the lampstand in the temple. Again, he's just reinforcing the presence of God. I can't seem to get away from it. I wanted to give you some practical, practical pointers about being salt and light. And all I see is relate to the Father. Be in the Father. Be on the Father. Find him in the secret place and he will lead and guide you. And as you're led by him, as he guides you, you will bring glory to the Father 
through your deeds. And think of your deeds as simply following Jesus rather than having to project some sort of evangelistic speech or witness. Not that that's not supposed to happen, but simply if you're just doing that naturally, you are transformed by the knowledge of God to be in the likeness and image of his son so that you are transformed to be his representatives. Church, as we move into a new series off the back of this one, we're going to be looking at what it means to belong to the church family. And so much of that you've heard about becoming. Well, in some terms, we're still becoming salt and light, but I wanted to end with you knowing if you have a relationship with God the Father and you're seeking after the Father's heart, you automatically are. You are salt and light. Why won't you stand with me? We're going to have the band up, and I'm just going to pray for us. All of us, all of us can do with knowing the Father more. I'm simply going to invite the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ, to help us to be filled with the knowledge of God so that we can be transformed into the likeness of God. So Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good and you're good to each and every one of us. And I pray right now, Father, that you would continue to reveal yourself afresh to all of us, Lord God, from youngest to old, within families as well, Lord. Father, we want it all for your glory. So come and reveal yourself afresh. May we know the Father's heart. Lord God, I pray you give confidence. Would you give courage to us to not just be the children of God in title, but Lord God, help us to be the children of God in reality. Father, forgive us for our shortcomings. Forgive us for fearing what is out there. Forgive us for being away from you. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us trust in you more. Help us to rely on you fully, not just in part. Help us, Father, to look to you in all things and give you glory. You are so worthy of it. And I thank you for your heart towards us. May we become more and more the people of God you've called us to be. Father, I know you've called this church family to be a well. But in that same way, Lord God, I pray that we would be shining lights for you. Lord God, may the darkness tremble. May the darkness flee because we are relating to you more and more. Kingdom of God, would you explode across the streets and into our lives, Father, that we'd see your kingdom reign. We'd see your glory. We'd see your transformation taking place. So, Father, right now, I just give over our hearts that you would shape us, that you would be the one that molds us. Oh, Lord God, I thank you for your love for each and every person in here. And I pray, Lord God, that you would lead us. The good work that you've started in each of us individually, but also as a church family, I pray that good work would come to completion by your perfect timing, by your perfect will, and by your perfect power and nothing else. Would you come and have your way? We are your children. We are your family. 
we are your church and we need you and only you to be who you've called us to be. Come, come Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, will you just come and fill us right now? In Jesus' name, amen.